So glad y'all are here today. Thanks so much for joining us. As Jeff mentioned, my name is Jared Perry. I am the pastor of Eastlake Fellowship, and I am excited to be here. I'm going to tell you right now, we have a lot to do um, this morning. There's a lot to talk about and update for Eastlake. There's a lot that we're going to talk about in the text. I'm going to try and not speak super fast, but I make no promises, okay? Uh, Let me start with Eastlake stuff, give you an update. We are now officially under contract with Central Lutheran Church as our location to meet. Thank you, thank you. We're so thrilled, so excited. Uh, It's a big step for us. Uh, We just got everything signed this week. Um, So we will begin meeting at Central Lutheran on September 10th. Uh, in the afternoon, late afternoon evenings. We're still determining a time. So um, thrilled about that. Our team is going to be able to start meeting there in August so we can have some run-throughs and practices on getting set up and do all that stuff. Um, but I just want to start by saying thank you to each and every one of you, whether you've been passively participating through your support at White Rock and how they're supporting us, or you've been actively participating. So many of you have stopped me between services, ask about Eastlake, uh, have offered your support and your care, and we're just really grateful. So thank you all so much for all that you've done. Um, as Jeff mentioned earlier, uh, we'd love for you to consider and pray, especially if you're on the east side of the lake, about whether God might be asking you to participate with us and join us. Uh, we'd love to ask you to do that. Um, but specifically, uh, I have a couple requests for you, like I like to always bring, just to kind of give you some tangible things on what might be helpful for us here on out. For now, first, we'd love for you to think about whether there's someone you can introduce us to or invite to be a part of Eastlake Fellowship. This could be somebody you know, uh, even if maybe they're not in church right now, or or I was having a conversation with somebody who uh, was telling me about a family member in that area uh, who isn't walking with the Lord, doesn't have faith in God. And I just said, hey, I'd still love to meet them and have a conversation about, hey, what would it look like for a church to be a faithful member of your neighborhood? I'd still love those conversations. So if you know somebody in that area that you could think about introducing us to or even inviting to be a part of what we're doing at Eastlake, please, please, please think about us. We'd love for you to to participate with us in that way. Second, we'd love for you to pray. As we're getting close to start date and launch date, uh, we need people to pray for us on any number of things. There's a ton of logistics for us to work out. There's relationships that we want to build. And we need the Lord to go before us in all these efforts. And so if you would think about it, maybe it's once a week, maybe it's every day. If you consider praying for Eastlake Fellowship, we'd love to have you join us in prayer over these next few weeks as we look to launch September 10th. And then finally, as I mentioned last time, with our Sunday afternoon evening plans, uh, it opens the door for you to come and participate with us by serving our kids, serving the students and uh, kids that are a part of Eastlake Fellowship. We have uh, three to four kids who are in that like eight to 12-ish range. Uh, And then we've got a toddler and a couple babies as part of our community already, which is so fun. Uh, I would love to bless our core team by having people who said, hey, I'm I'm here. I'm willing to come be a part of serving your kids so that you can be a part of the building of this community and this core team. So if you would ever think about giving us an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday afternoon evening, uh, and you'd be willing to do that, I would love to chat with you. If we can get 20 people to do that, twice a year. I mean, we'd have most of, the, most of the year covered for us, and that would really, really bless our team. So if you would consider that at all, please come find me after the service. I'd love to chat with you about that. Okay. Like I said, we have a lot to do. So before we do that, because I forgot to do it in the first service, I want us to pray. I want us to take a second and pray before we launch into this text. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the way that you've provided for us. 
for Eastlake specifically with the location and with people who want to be a part of this team, for churches and, and friends like here at White Rock, people that are behind this vision and this mission, Lord, we are grateful. And so we come, regardless of what's happened this past week or, or what's been going on, to take a moment and remind ourselves of your goodness and provision for us and to say thank you for that. God, I pray and ask this morning that this sermon, uh, this text would be something that would really sit on our hearts. It would be something that we wouldn't just think about today right now, but it would be something that would resonate with us throughout the week that we could come back to, not because it's my words or something I said, but Lord, because of the truth of the goodness and the stories of faith that we're going to hear today. I ask you if you would take a second to pray for yourself. Uh, Ask that prayer of the Lord, that this message, that, that what God has to say this morning wouldn't be something that would just be with you here now until you walk out these doors, but that God would have something for you this morning that would sit in your heart and marinate and resonate with you throughout the week. And then if you would also... Pray that for those in this room with us. Pray that for those next to you. Pray that for those around you. Ask that the Lord would be able to speak to them this morning in a way that would be with them on Wednesday and Friday and Saturday. And then finally, if you would pray for me. Honestly, this is a text that I've needed, and this is, there are things in this this morning that I want to be thinking about throughout the week. And so I'd ask and pray that you would pray for the Spirit's work in my heart and my mind as well. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you, and we pray these things in your Son's name by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So, this morning, we jump back into Hebrews. If you've been with us or maybe you haven't, I still want to do a recap for you. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're studying the, life of, the lives of faith as manifested by the author of Hebrews to try and show us what does it look like for us to have this confidence in things not seen, for us to live these lives of obedience and faith. We've looked at a number of different characters in the Old Testament. We've talked about some people who have backstories that we know about, backstories that we don't. And last week, Jeff talked to us about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, they're so connected to the people we're going to talk about today that I want to rehash those stories and, and talk about things a little bit again, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Because the writer of Hebrews is presuming a knowledge of the Jewish scriptures, a knowledge of Jewish history um, that not everybody here may always have. And so, we're going to start there. I'm going to refer to it throughout the sermon. But for now, it's important for us to start with Abraham. To remember, he's the father, right, of the children of Israel, right? He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, correct, right? But actually, as we learned last week, he didn't, right? Abraham, when God came and made this promise to him, he didn't have any sons. And at the time, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you three things specifically. I'm going to give to you a land, a place that you can call your home, a place to belong, a place flowing with milk and honey, a place that will be yours. Not only that, but I will make your people into a great nation. Not only will you have this land, but you will have the family to fill it. 
so much so that they will become a people unto themselves. And the third promise that God made was that through this family that lives in this land that I've provided, I will use you to bless the world. I will use you to bless all the nations. And so God has made this promise to Abraham, a promise that was so important that Abraham left his forefathers, he left the land that he was living in to go to this land that he didn't know and walk and live by faith. But part of the promise involves a family, involves them becoming a nation. And Abraham, approaching the age of 100, does not have kids yet. And so God gives to him and his wife, Sarah, their son, Isaac. And Jeff talked last week about Isaac and his and Abraham's relationship and the faith exhibited through Abraham and Isaac. But it's important for our story today because we're going to look at Isaac's life and then the life of Isaac's sons and then the life of Isaac's grandsons. Because while God has promised this great nation, Isaac goes forth and he has two boys. We're up to three, right? Not quite a great nation yet. But Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Esau, the older brother, Jacob, the younger brother. And instead of this great nation, this great family, we find contention amongst this family. We find that Jacob and Esau are at odds with one another so much so that it gets to the point where Esau is threatening to kill his brother Jacob. Jacob is forced to flee Isaac, flee his family, and go live with his uncle in another land. Well, he's with his uncle now. He'll be safe, right? Everything will be good? No. Jacob brings his, or, uh, Jacob goes in with his uncle, tries to find a wife, makes a deal with his uncle to marry this one woman, wakes up after the wedding and find out that his uncle has deceived him. He has married his, the woman he thought he was marrying, sister. And things are getting weird, <laughs> right? So now he says, okay, I'd like to marry the woman I wanted to marry originally, please. That would be great. I will work for you another seven years. And so he's now worked 14 years with his uncle and has two wives that he has married. Pretty awkward, probably family dinners, if I'd say so myself. Jacob then goes on to have 12 sons. And now we're starting to see that maybe this family could become a great nation. Amongst those sons is his son, Joseph. Joseph is not the older son, and yet Jacob starts playing some favorites, and we start to see God is also revealing to Joseph that Joseph is going to do some significant things, that he will rule over his brothers. I don't know if you have brothers, but have you ever tried to tell a brother or sibling you're going to rule over them? How's that going to go, right? Not super well. Joseph's brothers, in response to this favoritism, both from God and from their father, send Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And they tell their father, Jacob, that they have killed his son. The family of God that was promised this great land, this great people, is a mess right now. And yet the author of Hebrews is going to point to these men as pivotal figures that we can look to and identify with in our lives of faith by recognizing that faith in God's promises is called for regardless of our circumstances. 
We're called to have faith in God's promises regardless of our circumstances. And so let's look in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the passage and then we'll break it down section by section. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What does all that mean? Let's talk about it. See, in the first circumstance, God asks us to have faith while waiting. Look in verse 20. We read, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. If you remember, Isaac is the son of Abraham, and he has now had two children. And they do not yet have possession of this land. They are not yet the great nation that God has promised. And yet, Isaac, at the end of his life, is going to provide and invoke a blessing upon Jacob and Esau. Now, blessing isn't something we use a lot. We went to Dallas Children's Theater yesterday and saw the Adams Family production that they were putting on, which was super funny and great, right? Part of the story is the idea that Wednesday Adams wants to get married, okay? And so Wednesday wants to get married and she is seeking her parents' blessing. She wants her mom and dad to say, yes, you can marry this person. And in our culture, blessings from parents, that's about as far as we go, right? Some people don't even do that, but, but that's about as far as we go in using that term of seeking blessings from family members. Yet in this culture, in this time, blessings and inheritance were key pieces of what families did, of what fathers passed on to their children. And there were structures and ways to go about that process. And so here, Isaac is going in and blessing his children, but it's not just a general blessing. He's blessing them in light of the promises that God has made to Abraham. Now, this is important. These promises have not yet been fulfilled. Promises made to Isaac's father were not fulfilled to his father, have not been fulfilled for him, and have yet to be fulfilled for his children, and yet Isaac persists in his faith. Despite generations of waiting. Isaac proceeds in faith. And this act of blessing is an act of faith in and of itself. Isaac is soon to pass on. He's not going to be in a place to enact this blessing himself. He's not going to be able to ensure this future for his children. He is fully trusting that God will give and provide for his kids the blessings that he is calling upon them. Because Isaac has faith while waiting. Not only that, but Isaac has faith that God is still good. You'll notice, despite the fact that God has not fulfilled his promises yet, we don't find Isaac sitting here saying, well, we have to bless you in some other God's name or some other thing because that God who made those promises, he hasn't fulfilled them. He can't be a good God. Despite generations of waiting, Isaac continues to believe that God is good. 
uh, our culture does not ask us to wait very often. Patience is not something required of us. If you're hungry, you don't have to leave your couch. You can hit, well, you can use DoorDash and get up and walk to the door and you've got food right there made for you. If you need to go to the grocery store, right, they will deliver the groceries to you. I mean, like, you can go and just sit in your car and have someone bring it out. And those aren't bad things, but it's a sign that waiting is not a part of our life anymore. When was the last time you had to really wait for something? I mean, really wait for a day, a week, a, a year. These guys waited lifetimes for God to fulfill these promises. And they maintained their faith. I mean, a, a few months ago, about a year and a half ago, I think, we had a storm came through and uh, it was raining pretty hard. And we woke up to take the boys to school the next day. And uh, our oldest was getting ready and he walked over and said, oh, dad, there's some water here on the ground. And I thought, oh, it's probably just like somebody like kicked over a drink that they left over or something last night. It probably just spilled. I walked over and looked and sure enough, there was a leak coming from our ceiling, like right by where our TV is and all that stuff. And I started to freak out because we are hoping to move into the neighborhood, kind of where Eastlake's going to be. And, and like having to deal with all this stuff in the house was stressful. And so I called our roofer that I had heard, gotten from the person that helped us moved in. And uh, they said initially like, oh, hey, yeah, we can help you out as soon as we get back to our computer. Because it was still pretty early, hadn't taken the kids to school. I thought, okay. So I'm take the kids to school, come back. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just watching this leak drip and I haven't got a call, haven't got a call. So an hour later, I call them again and they said, well, sir, actually, you know, we, we can't schedule anybody right now while it's still raining. And I'm like, that's fine, but you told me you just need to get a computer. So like, what's going on here? And they're like, no, sir, I promise we'll, we'll call you again when we are finally able to schedule people when it stops raining. So I waited and waited. I tried to call them back again. They didn't pick up the third time. And by this point, I'm stressed out. I'm in, I, my anxiety is super high. I'm nervous. I'm worried. So I did what I always do when I'm stressed out. I texted Clayton Lucky because he's the best. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, no, here's a guy. Uh, and sent me right to the right person. And I called that guy. And he scheduled to come out immediately. He helped me out uh, that afternoon. And it was so helpful to have someone come as soon as I needed them, right? Because while I was waiting to hear back from that first roofer, I was going crazy. I was thinking through all the bad things that were going to happen. Like, are we going to get mold? Are we going to have to rip the whole thing out? What's going to, like, everything was going wrong in my brain in that period, that short period, because I wasn't used to having to wait. Waiting is not a part of our culture. It's not a part of our everyday life, but it is a part of our spiritual life. And God asks us to walk and wait in faith and belief that his promises will be fulfilled. And we have it modeled here with Isaac, who is hopeful. Who knows that God because of his character, will provide eventually. But not only does faith in God's promises, regardless of circumstances, involve faith while waiting, 
It also involves faith in the unconventional. Look in Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So this part gets interesting. Um, as I said before, there, there's a whole process of how blessings and inheritance worked in this day. And so Jacob, as we mentioned, had these 12 sons. These sons get mad at one brother, Joseph. They sell him into slavery into Egypt, okay? And Joseph goes into Egypt, and in that process, uh, moves into, after a long story, moves into a position of authority where he is able to provide in the midst of famine for both the people of Egypt and then for his family. And so Joseph's brothers and Jacob come to Egypt, come where it's safe, where he can provide for them. And so Jacob, after leaving the land that God has promised, comes to Egypt and meets with Joseph. And when he's there, he begins to come to his death. And so he invites Joseph, this son who he thought was dead, who has been gone in Egypt. He invites him to his deathbed for a blessing. But instead of just blessing Joseph, he has Joseph bring his two sons. And he takes his two grandkids. He takes Joseph's two sons. And he raises them up and blesses them and treats them as equals with Joseph's brothers. Like they were his own kids. This is very unusual. This is not something that would typically happen. And so when, when Jacob goes to bless the kids, he goes to put his hands on them and he puts his right hand, the, the stronger blessing goes on the younger brother and his left hand goes on the older brother. And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. That, he tries to like, you get the picture of like, he's trying to move the hands of his dad, like figure it out. He's too old. He can't fight me. But Jacob says, no, my son. I'm doing this intentionally. For Jacob himself, had been the younger brother who'd been blessed as the older should have been blessed by his father. And Joseph, by the way, was not the oldest brother. He himself had experienced unusual blessings for his birth order and seen how God could take the unexpected and use it in significant ways. And so Jacob, having experienced that himself, having seen it in the life of his own son, now looked at his grandsons and said, I believe God can continue to work in unconventional ways. God continued to work in ways that I do not expect. And so he blesses these two boys. But not only does he provide this blessing for them, which as we talked about with Isaac, even this blessing is a sign of Jacob's faith. Look with me. We're going to put it up on the screen so you don't have to flip all the way back to Genesis. But in Genesis 47, the last verse, before Jacob goes into this blessing, this is what it says. By the way, Jacob is also called Israel. That can be confusing for people. So just just a heads up there. That's what's happening. Um, And Jacob said, swear to me. And Joseph swore to him. Then Israel, Jacob, bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Now for us, we might think, oh, that just means going to sleep, right? But the author of Hebrews uses another term that's used uh, in a different version 
that's called bowed the head on his staff and tells us this was a move of worship. Jacob, as he moved into this time of blessing, began with a moment of worship. Again, remember, this is the guy whose great nation was lived in a life of fear that his brother was going to kill him, as being deceived by his uncle as he sought a wife. A guy whose own sons wanted to kill one of his children and then deceived him. And he lived for years thinking that one of his sons was dead. And now the land that God has promised has been in famine. And he has had to leave this land and go to Egypt. And Jacob's response to all of that is worship. The end of his life is worship. To bow his head, to praise the Lord. Look at what he says in verse in chapter 48. This is in the actual blessing that he gives. Listen to this. And he blessed Joseph and said, "The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day." The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. After all those things that he had gone through, the unconventional route that he had taken in the paths that God had laid before him to fulfill his promises, Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob's faith remained strong. He remained convinced that God would do and provide what he said. He went so far as to tell Joseph, promise me that you will not leave my bones here in Egypt, but you will take me back to our home. Because for Jacob, his faith in God's promises persisted regardless of his circumstances. Uh, a movie came out, I think it was this year, maybe it was last year, um, called Air, about Michael Jordan's path to becoming, uh, to signing a shoe deal with Nike. Uh, we think Nike and Jordan now, and that is, I mean, just what we associate him in the shoe with. But back then, when this story was happening, um, Nike did not have a presence in the NBA. And so they were desperate to try and make their first signing of a major NBA star. And so this movie tells this story. It's really interesting. They don't say, show Michael Jordan's face by it. It's, it's fascinating, some of their artistic choices. But one of the things they do that I loved was they focused on the influence of Michael Jordan's mother in the process. They showed how, they, how she shaped him as a person and professionally. And one of the key moments towards the end of the film, Nike has finally won Jordan over, over all the other basketball shoes. They finally got him to agree. And the agent is on the, Matt Damon is on the phone with his mother, right? Not really Matt Damon, but the actor Matt Damon, right? Is on the phone with his mother. And she says, we are ready to sign, but you got to do one thing for me. We want part of the contract to include that Michael Jordan would get a royalty percentage of each shoe that we sell, that you sell. 
And even though Nike has been desperate to sign him, they've been going out, they've been doing everything they can. Matt Damon goes, wait, what? That, that doesn't happen. Nobody does that, right? Nobody gets, we're making the shoe, we're marketing the shoe, we're selling. Why would you, that's not how this works. That's just not what happens. And she said, yeah, I know. But my son is exceptional. And he is going to be great. And this shoe will sell as much because of your efforts as his. And so after talking with the president of Nike, they get this shoe deal signed with this special clause put in for Michael Jordan. Over the course of his career, he made $95 million playing basketball, right? He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. We're not having a Jordan, LeBron, LeBray right now, okay? You can talk about that at lunch, right? But $95 million over, the, over his whole career playing basketball. Last year alone, because of the royalty deal that he had, that his mom put in with Nike because she believed in him, he made $255 million in one year. One year. Because she recognized, right, this is different but I know my son. I know what he can do and I know what he will do. Jacob also recognizes, I know my God, the God who walked with my father, the guy who walked with my grandfather. I know who he is. And so even though what's happening here is unusual, even though we're sitting here in Egypt and we've had all this family tension and all this family drama and I thought my son was dead, I'm taking unusual steps because of my confidence that God is working even in the unconventional and I can have faith in the midst of it. Finally, verse 22 Indeed, whoops, I'm in the wrong chapter. That would have been weird. Let's try it again. All right, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Like we read earlier before the message started, Joseph comes to the end of his life. Joseph, whose brothers threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, sent him off to Egypt where he tried to work faithfully for the Lord, tried to honor God with the way that he worked. And for that honor, he was falsely accused by his boss's wife and thrown into prison for years. And through God's providence, God brought him out of prison and put him in a position of power in Egypt. In that position of power, did he just get to sit back and enjoy the grapes and lounge around with somebody Waving him with a fan? No. He had to lead the country through seven years of famine. Joseph lived a life of suffering, and yet at the end of his life, he too still has faith that God will fulfill his promises. As we read earlier in Genesis 50, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you 
and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph still believes this after everything he's been through, after the winding road, after how long it's taken, Joseph still believes. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph is still convinced that God will do what he said, that he will make the people of Israel into a great nation, that he will take them to a land that God has prepared for them and that through them they will bless the nations. And so he calls on his brothers to swear, to promise, take me there and remember even when it seems like God is not present with you, like God is not near, to know that the Lord will visit. Because despite his suffering, despite his time in prison, despite his time in slavery, despite his time with the stress of leading a country through seven years of famine, Joseph did not doubt the character and promises of God. He knew that regardless of his circumstances, he could have faith in God's promises. Most of us probably haven't been thrown into a pit by our siblings and sold into slavery, right? We're, we live through a pandemic, but we're not leading a country through seven years of famine, right? Generations of promises that God has made to us maybe have seemed unfulfilled, but we deal with and wrestle with the same questions and the same struggles as these forefathers in our faith did. They, they manifest differently. Maybe sometimes they feel bigger, but one of the mistakes I think we make is that we look at them as some sort of chosen superhero of our faith. We look at these men as people of like, well, they're just different than me. I could never be faithful like that. We kind of view them as separate. We didn't have time today. Trust me, if we did, I could go through and show you the way that these men failed over and over again, the way that they were faithless, the, one, the ways that they questioned God, just like you and I do. The beautiful thing about this call to faithfulness is that it's not a call to you to just have stronger faith, for you to just get better at being patient, for you to just get better at God doing things differently than how you wanted or expected him to, for you to just be okay with suffering. And if you're not, that's some sign that your faith is bad or broken. Our faith, And their faith is not based on our strength, but on the one who was strong. It is not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the object of our faith who saves us. It is through Christ alone that we are able to stay faithful in the waiting, to stay faithful in the unconventional and faithful in the suffering 
We know that God has promised us a day, a future, where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more death. And yet we still live here in a time where we lose loved ones and we wrestle with things like chronic pain and our own sin and the sin of others. And it's hard to wait. This is not a sermon calling you to be stronger. It's a sermon that calls you in the waiting to remember that while you wait, God remains present, faithful, good. Sometimes life is unconventional. I thought I was going to be church planning in Ireland right now, and I'm getting ready to plant a church in Dallas, Texas. Maybe you thought you would be at XYZ place in your career. Maybe you thought you'd be in another career. Maybe you thought you would be married. Maybe you thought your family would look like this. Maybe you thought you'd have this number of kids or this relationship with your kids and things have not gone to plan. And all the things that God has promised about the ways that he would be good are not manifesting the way that you expected them to. The answer today is not to look at Isaac Jacob and Joseph's life and say, I just have to be stronger like them. The answer today is remember that God is working in the unconventional, not despite it. Maybe there's a place in your life where you are dealing with pain and suffering in a way you never imagined. A way that causes you to doubt the goodness of God. It doubts, God, are you listening? God, are you present? The hope and call today is not to tell you, oh, you have to stop asking questions and stop wondering. But to remind you that throughout the history of the people of God, suffering has been present and so has the Lord. He is not far from you. He has not forgotten you. God will visit his people. And your confidence in that gives us confidence to continue in faith regardless of our circumstances. Let's pray. Most holy God, we are a people who need these reminders. Living in this broken world is challenging for all of us. And Lord, as those that come before, we often say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. There is reality that even in our faith, God, we need you for more faith. And so, Father, I ask this morning that we would be reminded not of the strength of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the unconventional, and in the midst of the pain and suffering. God, that those realities would not be in conflict with you or your character, but God, that we could see your goodness in the midst and through those things. But Father, we can't do this naturally. Our hearts naturally want to question and ask and turn from you. And so God, I ask and pray that this morning, that by your spirit, that you are 
allow our eyes and hearts to be open and moved by your goodness, moved by your mercy, moved by your love. And that the promised future that you've given us, where Christ returns and you dwell with us and we are free from sin and have victory. Lord, that we would remain faithful and convinced of that thing to come. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.